From Force Chicago, this is Go Forth, a podcast about entrepreneurship and connection made by a sisterhood of creative women. I'm Amanda Glandon. And I'm Amelia Fruby. This week's theme is hustle. I loved my job, but since my job was kind of on the way out, I thought, why not put a little bit of extra work into this and see if I can make something out of it? And I, and I did. I met Lydia at a Maker Fest sometime earlier this year, and I was so excited to see her because of her naturally dyed scarves, which are beautiful, and just because she's such a warm, exciting presence to be around in person. Yeah, I've followed her on Instagram for a while now because I think she does such a great job of bringing her work to life online and is a really interesting person to follow. It's also really cool that she just does so many different things, which is why I think she's a perfect fit for the hustle idea. I mean, I feel like I'm always finding out about different ways that she's getting her work out there in the world. Yeah, definitely. Whether it's like you're seeing a scarf that she made in West Elm or like your mom is telling you that she went to this cool hand dyeing workshop Mm -hmm. and you're like, what are you doing, mom? (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Let's get going. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lydia. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to do this. I am super, super pumped to have you. Thanks. So I'm going to start with maybe uh, an anecdote and an obvious question, which is (laughs) I became familiar with your business in name before I even knew what you did. And I'm reading it and I'm like, does she make defense goods? Like, (laughs) is this some like weird fourth defense contractor? I have no idea. I've never gotten that one before. That's really good. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, is it armor? Is it like weaponry? But um, can you tell us where the name Argument and Defiance comes from? Sure. Well, we'll start with Defiance then. Defiance, Missouri is um, where my grandparents actually lived for a really long time. And it was where I, you know, first really found my love of nature and I wanted to incorporate that into my into my business name because I'm working with natural dyes a lot. And so that's where I learned my to respect nature, how to use it and um and how to live with it. So that's why I wanted to to incorporate defiance into my name. The Argaman part is is actually Hebrew for crimson. And my name Lydia means the maker of purple dye and that purple dye was described as Argumen. So that's where I get the Argumen Defiance from. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's very unique and personal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Once people get past, like, having no idea or being afraid to say it out loud. Sometimes I find people don't want to say words they don't know. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) So let's back up maybe a little bit before the naming. And how did you start working with natural dyes? I started when I was studying at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. I don't know how to describe it better than my hands knew what to do and all of a sudden my brain understood the chemistry just perfectly where before science had always been a major struggle for me um those two had never worked in sync the hand and the brain and then with natural dyes it just made sense and i just kept working and working and working to perfect that craft and then all of a sudden i had a ton of fabric in my studio that i had nothing to do with so i tried selling it I cut it up sewed it into some scarves and tried selling it at a rummage sale at school and I completely sold out so I thought hey you know maybe there's something here you know so that's what I kept doing so how did this go from school project side hustle to being your full-time thing can you tell us about that journey 
I was working at an art gallery in Streeterville and I just, I, I loved this job. I loved it. It was going well. Um, I loved the people that I was working for, but the building foreclosed that we were in and my, uh, the owners had a little bit of a sticker shock when it came to finding a new gallery space because they hadn't found one in quite some time. So uh, they decided to close down the gallery and that was a very long process itself. So I had the luxury of a, a good probably year and a half, two years to really start taking my business seriously. It was going well, but I loved my job, but it since my job was kind of on the way out, I thought, why not put a little bit of extra work into this and see if I can make something out of it? And I, and I did. What does that extra work look like? What did it look like in the beginning and how has it taken shape since then? The extra work was... <laughs> Well, there was, there's the, like, there's the business side of it. So there was the learning how to do marketing, how to do uh, the PR, how to do, how, how to do my books, you know, like my taxes, you know, that sort of stuff. There was that side of it. But then there was also the emotional side of just really overcoming these insecurities that I had about, you know, actually being able to run my own business, you know, um, Especially with the arts, I always feel like it's it's a it's just a big challenge. You're always going uphill, and you know people are always telling you that like, it's nice, it's too expensive, it's it's worthless. You know, for instance, when like funding is always taken away from the arts programs, that's kind of also just like it's a big slap in the face of just saying like what you do is not important. Mm-hmm. So overcoming that emotional side of really taking on my own business is still something that I struggle with every day, but just kind of reshaping my thinking and read and, um, and understanding that failure is part of the process. And I love it in the art process. Maybe I can also love it in the business process as well, or learn, learn to love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I really like this kind of idea of failure and also the way you talk about in the arts, failure is already kind of revered and has yeah. this status and is accepted. What's a failure you've learned from in your artistic practice? Well, I guess I've just learned in my artistic practice, I kind of build in, I know that I'm going to have to start over on a design a minimum of four times, you know, and when you build in that expectation, the all of a sudden, just the possibilities just go sky high just because you're not your recovery time is so much faster your learning curve is so much faster you're able to turn those things around into learning experiences instead of failures that was a big part of um, just learning how to correctly fail but I guess as far as like maybe a fun one is (laughs) but this is actually kind of funny because my name means the maker of purple cloth when I was first learning how to natural dye purple's a really challenging color to get I kept getting it all the time, every single time. And I didn't know why. And it was just, and um, so for me, that was fun to kind of like crack that code on the chemistry of like, oh, okay. So the water that I was using was, you know, a little bit on the alkaline side. And that's why I kept getting purple. So I think a lot of fourth members and the people just in our community that are creative entrepreneurs are on kind of a scale of you know, are they self-taught in what they're making or are they more classically trained? And speaking as someone who came from the Art Institute, really classically trained in a heavy foundation in art, I'm always interested to hear um, those perspectives on turning your art into a product and how you've kind of evolved in that process. I think I was actually kind of lucky coming out of school at the time I did because craft all of a sudden was going from this kind of 
dirty word in the in the arts into this like super cool kind of club that you know that we're all getting into and it was still taking those things that I was learning from SAIC that needing to know to to gather as many skills as I can and putting them into my craft so as far as going from learning a craft and then turning that into a business I was coming into it in a really interesting time where there was a lot of people that were all of a sudden needing to develop these side hustles. I graduated in 2010 from SAIC and there weren't any jobs. So we were developing these side hustles to to make it work. To be able to pay off our crazy student loans while still enjoying life a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Hey Chicago listeners, on Thursday, November 9th, we're hosting a season two celebration featuring a panel of past podcast interviewees. Join us at WeWork Fulton Market at 7 p.m. for a discussion on creative entrepreneurship and community. To RSVP, find the event on our Facebook page. Just search for 4th Chicago. Hope to see you there. into this concept then of a side hustle like you're talking about so what how did it function in your life at first how was this like were you working on dying every day were you doing this in the mornings before work how are you fitting that side hustle into your life yeah I was after school my uh my my then boyfriend now husband he knew how much making was a huge part of my life and how how much I needed it just to be This sounds a little dramatic, but just to survive, like I just needed it in my daily life. So we moved all of our furniture into the living room and then, uh, well, he actually did all this and surprised me, moved all of our bedroom furniture into the living room and then made our um, spare, our bedroom into my studio so that I could work. So I did have a working studio space. So I was working it in, in between the two jobs I had and the one internship that I had. I was doing it in the mornings. I was staying up late at night. If I did have the luxury of a day off, I was in my studio and I was learning and making new um, dye formulas or learning as much as I could. The idea behind it was, at first, was just have a little extra money, be able to continue making art. Really, it was just funding itself, being able to make, sell a little bit, then being able to make. I knew that I needed to be working with my hands every day. You already told us a little bit then about how part of the impetus to making this your full-time gig, hustle, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> was that this kind of job essentially you're gonna, like, was foreclosed on. What were some of the like more concrete steps you were taking at the end of that? Building a business plan, working with a business coach, and ironing out the details of, that I needed to um, to start building that plan and understanding how this was going to work, uh, putting together a budget with my husband, talking over worst case scenarios, and just getting them out there and and thinking thinking through how we would live through them and how we would approach them. I think a lot of it is just making plans just so that you can divert from them and then be able to. Um, to recover. It goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier about building in those 
those four, you know, four mistakes when I'm designing Mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to start over four times. You know, you build in that plan that you're going to fall flat on your face (laughs) and you imagine it and you try to understand how you'll recover from it. And then it becomes a lot less scary when it's outside of you. Yeah. Yeah. Really the reason why we wanted to talk to you about hustle is that we see you doing so many different things yeah. with your work and so many different ways to distribute it. So can you talk about just kind of all of your channels? Yeah. Um, so I do, I have um, an online website that you can order from um, that I'm making products for. I have a thriving wholesale business. I think that's really like, that. that's my bread and butter right now that I work with at smaller boutiques and even larger big box stores and, and I get to make things for them. But then I also... I think this just goes back to what I learned at SAIC is that, you know, that you should be doing many things. So I'm also started doing workshops out of my studio. Um, and I love, absolutely love, and I'm so happy I have the time to do this now that I'm working full time with my businesses. I get to collaborate with other designers now too and do small runs. Whether I'm, you know, doing production for them that like my name isn't going to be on, I'm totally fine with that. They're just buying large, you know, amounts of fabric from me that I'm dyeing or painting, whatever. Or we're working on a specific project together. I love doing that with other makers. Again, it goes back to, I get to learn a new skill. I get to hang out with some really awesome people and learn, learn something new. So I think, I guess maybe my drive, maybe it comes from that, but maybe it also just comes from just being, I'm insanely curious and I just want to continue to learn. Out of these different channels that you're putting out your work through, is there one in particular that you just never expected to work and it does, or you didn't expect it to be as big of a piece of your business as it is? Yeah, definitely the workshops. I never wanted to teach. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what always, that's what everyone says when you go into the arts. Oh, you can, at least, at least you can teach. And I was like, I don't want to teach. And, um, and so I really <laughs> avoided it for a very long time. What I like about doing the workshops is it's people are specifically seeking me out and seeing the skill that I am offering to teach and they want to learn that skill. So that's what I love about the workshops. I'm taking this two minute interaction that I usually get with a, with a customer or a client and then and turning it into like a two hour workshop with them where they actually get to learn my process understand uh, the labor that goes into this and why it costs what it does, why it wears the way it does, and, um, and why I designed it a specific way. And they get this great intimate understanding of my work. How much of, quote, the hustle do, for you personally, do you see as a necessity to make your business work full time? And how much is it just you have the personality that you like to from all these different places it's definitely a benefit that I I enjoy I enjoy the hustle I need it I don't see how this would work if you didn't do all of the things that I was that I'm doing right now you know and I mean and what we can like we can swap out workshops for you know PR we can you know swap out you know like there's many swaps that we can do but I intensely enjoy the hustle process and staying busy and um, and working to make this work seeing directly what I'm putting into it come out and, um, and it getting bigger and better every year. If I'm not doing it, nobody else is. 
And I guess that's what I keep going back to. So, you know, making those connections, um, sending out a zillion emails, putting together... Well, I, what I did this afternoon was I was putting together a bunch of YouTube tutorials for the holiday season. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so like that way I can get those in, get them done in my, my slow season. That way when the holiday season comes around, it's done and ready. And um, I do. I really, really enjoy it. But yeah, it's 100% necessary. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for like a one-woman show like your businesses or when it's a solopreneur, it seems like you have to, Yeah. if you find doing that many things, if you find the hustle exhausting, you won't survive the process. Yeah. Because there's so many things going on. Absolutely. You have to be energized from it. And mm-hmm. um, because it is so labor intensive and emotionally exhausting and it's, you have to love it. If you don't, you will burn out very, very fast. And, and burnout's a, a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for listeners, I mean, you're not still living or working in this, the same space where you live. Your furniture is maybe not all still in the living room. No, no, um, no. We have but... a bedroom now. <laughs> I know. It's super classy. <laughs> so you've moved the studio out of the apartment, but only just one floor down. So how do you maintain that balance other than these walks? How do you... I feel like I would find myself here at like 5 a.m. and I would stay until 2 a.m. and like yeah. fall asleep on the floor. And right? Like, how, how do you keep that space for yourself physically? Just pulling myself out is at the end of the day is sometimes really tough. Mm-hmm. But I got to be honest, once I was able to, once we were able to take over the third floor and um, move up there and then I was able to take over the second floor completely as my studio, that having a door and a lock that I get to twist at the end of night and then I never get, and I don't have to think about it. I can just completely shut that part of my brain off if I want to. That It was never really a problem to be honest. Cause when I was here still, uh, excuse me, when I was still on the second floor and we were still living with the studio space, um, I could still like see a pile of fabric out of the corner of my eyes and it was driving me crazy. And you know, now I don't have to worry about keeping my husband up. I don't have to worry about disturbing the neighbors. I I get to I can work as long as I want and until until I'm ready to to not work anymore mm-hmm. and then go upstairs and not have to think about it anymore. And it's great. Yeah, that sounds yeah. nice. With all the different things that you do, it seems like you are definitely, and I'm just assuming this about you, but that you're kind of a yes person. This could be good for me. Let's try it. You want to try things and move forward. But when, how do you know when to say no? How do you strike that balance when people are presumably coming to you with different ideas and options? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, I actually, I, I don't consider myself a yes person. I, I turn down things a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the, what my thing is, I, if it doesn't make me excited, I don't really want to do it. And of course, there's, there's a zillion other factors that go into it. You know, if I really, if I, if I really need the business, then of course I'm going to do it. Um, so there's, you know, the monetary value is always, always, always on the mind. That's something that I think about a lot is when someone approaches me about a new, you know, a new project or, you know, or commission or whatever it is, if I'm not excited about it and I can't picture it, there's something that that's telling me that I need to 
find someone else for them to work with or maybe really sit on it and try to think about why it is that I don't think that I can do this you know is it that is it that emotional thing of you know creeping back up saying like oh you can't do this or is it um, or or is it like a legitimate reason that you know I just don't have the resources or time mm-hmm. so it is a little bit more feeling than science I guess oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah yeah where can listeners find you online? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, Instagram is probably the best way to get at me. And that's just Argamon Defiance, and I'll spell that for you. A-R-G-A-M-A-N, and then Defiance, like Defiance, yeah. And then, um, and then you can also go to my website, which is argamondefiance.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank this you, guys. This has been really great. Thanks for having me. Find show notes for this episode at fourthchicago.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes to receive each episode as it's released. Until next time, find us on Facebook and Instagram at 4th Chicago.